to the 37th Game Distiller Comcast. As always, I'm Simon Wu. And I'm Alex Miller. And I'm Max Gruber. And have we got a treat for you this week? It is our 2014 Game of the Year discussion podcast. Yeah, Simon, this is uh, this is sort of strange. I'm not quite sure what's going on because, you know, we're doing a second podcast in a month. You know, this, I, this seems far too regular for me. I know. That's absolutely <laughs> crazy. Consistency, right? And But, yeah, we're coming back. The podcast is making a comeback, as have the short takes. The short takes, we took a few weeks off to really discuss whether they were working how we originally intended. And hopefully you guys have seen that this week... It will already be posted by the time we record. The new short takes format is up. Hopefully it's shorter, more concise, and tells you more than it did before. It provides a summary and then much briefer analysis on a similar number of articles. So let us know what you think about that. But right now we've got a lot to talk about. So let's start it off with Solofluxion, who says, Welcome back, guys. Good to see the podcast isn't dead. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, always nice to uh, to be welcomed back to Soulflection, a long-time listener and commenter, so thank you very much for that. Another long-time listener and very much a long commenter is Omega Zero, who sends in another letter and a half uh, saying, Ooh, the long-awaited return of the Comcast is about tabletop gaming. I am totally okay with that. Prepare for another typically long comment of mine. Did you really just call the Pixel Sense a giant table-sized iPad? The irony is attempting to murder me. In regards to the crossover between tabletoppers, video gamers, and miniature people, I think that something over 50% of miniatures play tabletops, and something north of 50% of tabletop players also game electronically. Good to see that there is an overlap now. I wonder how games like Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter, and Knights of the Old Republic have affected the ratio. Or if it's just a slow change over time without any such obvious turning points. Skylanders and, let's be honest, trading cards, tabletop books, and miniatures is the return of physical DLC. This used to be a thing back in the late 90s and early 2000s where you would get a game and then certain extra features would only be played with a $5 disc from a specific retailer. I'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Parentheses, I'm inclined to say to say bad purely because it's paid DLC. As far as renting out a pixel sense for a game, it would be great. But there is a few issues. One, money. I'm sorry, but anything that requires me to spend money sucks. Two, locations. It requires me and my buddies to go out to the FLGS, which means the store will have had to shell out $10,000, which they don't have. 3. Formatting. Somehow, the Dungeon Master or Game Master is going to have to interact with the table. With five other players, that's going to be a hassle, and for their personal notes and whatnot, they're going to need their own screen at the very least, plus time to prepare it and load it onto the table. Alternatively, if it's just each person looking at a tiny portion of the table that happens to be acting as a tablet, you've lost the social aspect. For these and a multitude of other reasons, I suggest you guys take a look at Roll20.net, a website that runs nearly any sort of online tabletop session, along with video, voice chat. 
It's basically exactly what you described about what ought to happen when a member can't physically make it to a session. It's an even more digital representation of your magic table. It's free, and it allows people to play globally. For example, I play with a group based in Connecticut when I'm a few hundred miles away. While it's a better feeling to pull out pen and paper with a group of buddies, that means you all have to gather in one place and you need to have $120 worth of books. Roll20 is free. In regards to dice, you can always find out the top face of a die given the bottom face of the die. And trust me, sometimes it's a good thing for the GM to be able to fudge dice. And before we continue, this was in response to our discussion about tabletop gaming and how it could be made better and more more or less accepted and accessible in a digital format like uh, like a video game, for example. And that was that was what the commenter was talking about. And yeah, th- and in terms of... So I'm going to continue on. He continues on to say, I think you're wrong about the conflict over gamer identity, quote-unquote. I don't think it's about hating on niche genres, bashing indie games, or seeing games that aren't Halo of Duty as, quote, an existential threat. The stereotypical 12-year-olds have never heard of indie games, and I suspect that demographic is amongst the most radical of gamers. They have no, quote, gamer identity, unquote, as you define it, and the segment you have in mind as the original founding culture of gamers is what, 30 to 40 years old now? I have trouble imagining that they're radical enough to go to the internet war over something like this. Apart from the eternal console wars and the annoyingly vocal, raging trolls, idiots, and 12-year-olds, I see gamers generally in solidarity with each other. The conflict lies elsewhere, although I don't know where exactly. And this was in response to our summary of the events and kind of the underlying causation behind the whole scandal, event, movement known as gamers. That was part of our quarterly review that we did in the last podcast. And I would have loved to talk about it, but uh, right now it's not the time. I may I may write about it, but uh, that remains to be seen, especially given the controversy surrounding it. Uh, it would have to be something that would have to be taken very seriously. Um, but that's for another time. Uh Part of the reason an FPS MMO might work over, say, something like a Fallout MMO, is because FPS and MMO are typically very fast-paced. Fallout is much slower and more careful. Something like Borderlands, which was a mix of FPS action and MMO PvE, grinding and loot systems, is the closest we've had to an FPS MMO prior to Destiny. Mechanically, the only differences between Borderlands and Destiny are the number of people in the world at any given time and the narrative. And this was in response to our discussion about kind of why Destiny has sort of failed to live up to expectations, which we will talk about more in depth in our Game of the Year segment. But um, yeah, I definitely see the differences between Borderlands and Destiny dramatically which, again, we'll talk about in greater detail later on. Yep, and this, uh, this next portion of uh, this tomb of uh, 
uh, work is about Microsoft's purchase of Mojang and uh, Minecraft specifically. Uh, so Microsoft knows they have to be very careful with Mojang. I can't see them doing anything stupid with the Minecraft. They're holding uh, one of the world's best-known games in their hands. They can't do much to it without their PR department getting lynched by an angry mob. In the short term, I foresee no change. In the long term, I expect Minecraft to get back-end updates, improvements, and fixes, mainly boosting frame rate and the like. Any intervention on Microsoft's part elsewhere will get called out by players and modders, and look what that got them back when they were announcing the Xbox One. Yeah, so I, I think that's, that's pretty much a, an accurate blueprint for what they'll do with Minecraft Excel. But what we've seen in the last week is Microsoft has actually been very active in immediately turning around and using this IP that they now have to launch uh, a new a new game, a new series, potentially, with uh, this Telltale Minecraft series. Yep, and he concludes with this paragraph. I haven't yet managed to snag a run on Survivor in The Last of Us, but New Game Plus makes it so much easier. Don't bother with Unity, because even after the patches they've thrown at it, while you can assassinate people, the Mirror's Edge-style free-run controls are nice, but will randomly jump you to cover, or ledges that are nonsensical. And in the world of easily downloaded patches and hotfixes, it's become acceptable to ship games that haven't been QA-tested properly. Ten years ago, any bug that managed to get shipped would be tiny and implausibly difficult to encounter. Now, because devs can fix things, it's not an issue anymore. If anything, this is just more incentive to wait six months before making a purchase. Not only will the price have come down, but the game will actually work by that point. You bring up a good point that this not only applies to games, but the consoles themselves, with the Xbox One being updated every other day, and the PS4 having undergone several major binary surgeries. It's a wonder of modern technology that we're able to fix all these issues we keep finding. But why weren't they found in the first place? Yeah, the, uh, only thing, the only thing I can say to that is if you look at games 10 years ago versus games today, games are massively, massively improved in both the size and detail and everything else. Uh, they're, just, they're, they're much, much larger. And... It's much, much harder for QA departments to go through and test all of these things out in the same way that, that everything was looked over in, in older games. Now, is that an excuse? I don't think so. Because these games are much larger, they also have much larger budgets. And much larger budgets means you can hire a much larger QA team. Yeah, I so, mean, look at, look at Skyrim, for example. You can go through that and you'll you're more likely going to find a glitch or a bug with a quest. And the reason for that is because it, it, there's just so much content in the game that it's it would be, frankly, impossible for anyone to find every error in the game. It, it would be infeasible. That's true. Um, so that is a brief wrap. And in fact, Omega Zero's comment has actually provided a very neat summary of what our last podcast was. So now we're going to move quickly onwards to the Dixical segment, which should be a very good segue into the Game of the Year discussion that we've all been playing games that uh, should be on top of this list. So, Max, go ahead. Okay, so I've been playing a, a, lot, of t- a lot in the last, I guess, 
six months since I haven't been on. Uh, I've been playing Destiny. I've been doing videos with John on those. Uh, I've been playing Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, I've strangely decided to go back to Fallout New Vegas for some weird reason to finish some DLC. And I have finally been initiated into the world of Minecraft with my brother. Uh, we're currently trying to find an Ender portal. And we're currently trying to find Eyes of Ender to locate said portal. Uh, I'm going through Dragon Age Inquisition right now. I've actually cleared it finally. And I'm working on killing all the high dragons. Running as a uh, running as an archer. Uh, what else? Oh, Titanfall, uh, Telltale's Game of Thrones, Tales from the Borderlands, and, uh, that's all I can think of right now. Awesome. And Alex? Yeah, it's been pretty much just as long since I've been on the podcast as well, so just running over some of the games that I've been playing the last couple weeks and months, uh, definitely Shadows of Mordor. Got that on release and enjoyed the hell out of it. It was a fantastic game. Um, other than that, I've replayed Knights of the Old Republic 2 on PC with a bunch of restored content, uh, mods. So that, that was a lot of fun. I, I, I think I got in the Star Wars mood with, uh, with the new trailer coming out. And that was, uh, that was my way of, of scratching my Star Wars itch. Other than that, I've been playing uh, a fair bit of Assassin's Creed Unity lately. Been having fun with that game despite some of its, uh, buggier flaws. And I've also had a lot of fun playing through the new Telltale Game of Thrones game. Awesome. And uh, I, since the last podcast, have been trying my best to make sure that I'm readily available to talk about as many of these games as possible. So I have played a lot of Halo Master Chief Collection, both matchmaking and campaign across all four games. I've played Titanfall again. I've played Watch Dogs. I just got Destiny, just started, so not very far into that. I have beaten Call of Duty Advanced Warfare on both Xbox One and Xbox 360. Um, halfway through Assassin's Creed Rogue, because it's an insanely open-world game, and I'm so OCD, and it's actually just going to kill me. Um, Assassin's Creed Unity, I've kind of barely touched. It's there. I have not encountered any game-breaking glitches, whether that's because... Ubisoft has now patched it up to acceptable standards, or whether I'm just lucky, I'm not sure. I've played a little bit of Far Cry 4 as well, because I liked Far Cry 3 so much. I've played The Last of Us Remastered, Grand Theft Auto 5 Remastered, I've even played FTL Advanced Edition on the PC. Uh, and in addition to games that are not on the list, I have also played a game that I missed from last year, but was able to get at a very good price with all the DLC, and that is Saints Row 4. So, between that and Assassin's Creed Rogue, really, those two insanely open-world games, I am just uh, out of my mind collecting collectibles. Um, and it's it's really bad. Someone someone really should, should stop me. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, this leads us right into our discussion for the Game of the Year, for 2014. So just uh, as a brief overview, we have four overall categories. Now, three of those are awards for this year. That's the best exclusive over all platforms because this was actually a relatively light 
exclusive year. There are only maybe three or four that we could actually find at all for each platform, those being Nintendo, PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. So we've whittled that down and rolled them all in together. We have the best multi-platform game, and then we have the best remaster. And Finally, we will conclude with our GameMinder Memorial Road Ahead segment where we tell you all the games that will be coming in 2015, but then single out a couple that we are really excited about. So without further ado, let's get started. For best exclusive, we have Sunset Overdrive for the Xbox, Halo the Master Chief Collection for the Xbox, Infamous Second Son for the PlayStation, Mario Kart 8 and Super Smash Bros. for Nintendo, Civilization Beyond Earth, and Goat Simulator for the PC. Simon, would you like to start? Uh, sure. Um, so I have played two of these, those being Halo the Master Chief Collection and Sunset Overdrive. And for my money, um, I actually did run into the game-breaking, or multiplayer-breaking, I should say, <laughs> glitches for the Master Chief Collection. And thankfully, uh, as I learned today and is detailed on the short takes, I will be able to receive compensation in the form of Halo 3 ODST's campaign remastered as part of the Master Chief Collection for free. So, uh, it does not, that is not deserving, I think, of a Game of the Year game. Sunset Overdrive is a, a much better candidate, so that's, uh, that's my perspective on the matter. Yeah, I'll jump in and say I think Sunset Overdrive is uh, definitely a very strong candidate uh, with a very nicely uh, core done core concept, uh, very well f- fleshed out into a variety of, of different ways to play the game while still focusing on that, that central pillar. Uh, I'd also like to throw out uh, Civilization Beyond Earth as a candidate for the PC because I think a lot of people, when they first saw it, they were excited and hoping it was going to be... Uh, a sequel to Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, uh, which is a great game in, uh, I can't even remember, it's very early 2000s or late 90s. It was very, uh, very early Sid Meier stuff. But uh, I think a lot of people were, were thrown off when they saw how similar it was to Civilization V, and I think a lot of people unfairly dismissed it. But obviously using the same engine is going to have some similarities, but I was uh, I was very impressed with the depth of the game in it, in how it made itself different and how it it took the challenge of being post civilization not just a civilization on a different planet it, it's civilization t- picking up from where you left off and going in a, a new new direction a new way of playing that we haven't necessarily experienced before so i was i was quite happy with that so i have been enjoying everything I never played any of these games on this list, but for one of them. And that, <laughs> and that was Goat Simulator, which I was foolish enough to enter just for, I was like, it was like for a laugh, just entering just to see what the whole hub hub was all about, about the game. And I was pleasantly surprised to see how just outrageous and hilarious it is. It's, it's the, it's the most, it's the most, re- idiotic premise ever it's a game where you play as a goat that's it 
just you play as a goat, killing people, just running around doing goat stuff. It, it's it's the example of what what the gaming industry is not. Hilarious, goofy, and just all out comical. Which was what it was back then, you know. You have games you had games like I remember Boogerman for uh the Sega Genesis. That was the first game I ever played. And I love that game. But now you you never see games like that anymore. They're all these ultra gritty, serious games like Call of Duty or uh or Halo or games like that where they're just so serious and they take themselves way too seriously. But it, in Go Simulator, it's the exact opposite. It's not at all serious. It's just having as much fun as you can possibly have and I just love every second of it. Well, that is a very unequivocal uh, endorsement of Goat Simulator. Um, Just to throw out a couple of other ones, Infamous Second Son has been doing very well on the PlayStation, and of course, uh, at Nintendo, as always, Mario Kart 8 and Super Smash Bros. But Alex, you suggest that these are actually pretty well-timed to give the the Wii U a, a kick that it needed to compete with the PS4 and the Xbox One, which were really running circles around. Is that right? Yeah, no, I, I have to uh, I have to put my hands up and say, I was very much down on the Wii U at the beginning of this year. I thought it was going nowhere fast. I thought it was just losing ground to both of the newer consoles, and I, I didn't think it was going to last that much longer. I thought the Nintendo was going to have to start looking at, at their options, but I I was wrong on this one. They've managed to turn things around spectacularly, and I think a lot of that had to do with Mario Kart 8. Uh, it was a really fun game, and they just they tapped into the nostalgia at just the right time. They were able to get it out right after uh, I think it was it was a little bit after E3, so people were still excited about this game, and they were able to get it out and then get out. A couple more uh, Nintendo games, like Super Smash Bros., for example, that really got people interested in the console again. And the thing we've said about the Wii U since it launched is that it just didn't have the games. It didn't have the content. And finally, you know, maybe a little late, but better late than never, Nintendo has has shown up with what they needed. They have some fantastic games for their console. Awesome. So with that, do we have a consensus? We have heard... Strong feelings for Sunset Overdrive, Civilization Beyond Earth, and Goat Simulator. I'm sorry, I can't say that with a straight face. Goat Simulator. Yeah, I think I think for me, um, despite uh, the fact that Mario Kart and Super Smash Bros. both have done fantastic things for the uh, for the Wii U, and they both added um, maybe new characters, new tracks. So they are at their core rehashing a very old tried and true uh successful formula but it's it doesn't really add much of anything for me same goes for halo master chief collection looks very pretty uh i mean it adds like the gun hog and uh the gun goose sorry Uh, a couple of little things but it's it's mostly porting everything over to the to the next generation uh so i mean for me as far as being funny I mean, Max was talking about Goat Simulator being funny is one of his main things he took away from it. As far as being funny, as far as being original, and as far as having just really good gameplay, tightly 
uh, tested and just r- really well done. It's got to be Sunset Overdrive for me. I would actually agree with you for the reasons you've discounted both of the Nintendo games and Halo the Master Chief Collection, but I would cross-apply that actually to Infamous Second Son, and I know you will uh, be loath to hear me say this, Civilization Beyond Earth. I mean, at the end of the day, when you really look at the core components, it is, um, uh, yes, it is more than a reskin of Civ Five, but it is using the same engine, and also, the same ideas still stand. It is not new. It is not uh, really getting out there. If people can be nostalgic about Alpha Centauri, about this game, then it shows that there is an, a concept that they are essentially remaking, if not in all practicality, then in spirit. Uh, so my vote is also for Sunset Overdrive then I guess I will find out where you live and bring my goat with you because I am standing by Goat Simulator for best exclusive. Okay, you're going to have that goat with somehow has implausibly has an axe in its mouth and kills humans. It will it will come to my house and it will it will kill us both. No, it was, it was fun right. it was fun knowing you, Simon. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, it looks as if Sunset Overdrive wins Game Distiller's best exclusive of 2014. Now let's move on to the best multi-platform game. These are all of the big, big uh, AAA names that you know and perhaps love. I should also point out that uh, this list was originally really massive. We had about 20 to 30 games, but we ultimately decided to limit this and shrink that to a much smaller number of games, like some of the best of the best games that came out this year. Ones that both we've played and we know and realize are exist have existed. So Yeah, Simon? we spent we we spent a solid 30 45 minutes before this podcast just going through uh the script and most of it was spent on this one list, pruning it down, trying to get it down to I think we've got 10 or 11 titles here. I mean, it was more than double that before. And I think I think we have some some pretty excellent games in here. Indeed. So we have Dark Souls Two, Titanfall, Watch Dogs, Destiny, Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor, Alien Isolation, Call of Duty, Advanced Warfare, Assassin's Creed Rogue, Assassin's Creed Unity, Dragon Age Inquisition, and Far Cry Four. So just to kick these off, I have played actually most of these games in an effort to try and be as prepared as possible for this conversation. And I'll just briefly give my thoughts on each of the ones that I have played. Um, Titanfall was great while it existed. The leveling system really got me engaged for a while, but ultimately uh, it just fell short. It was not enough. There was not enough there, nearly enough, considering the amount of hype and marketing that Microsoft put into this. And Watch Dogs, also a disappointment. Um, there's no need to be said about that. It's pretty much universally known that Ubisoft has, in fact, whether they deny it or not, neutered the graphics in order to not cannibalize sales of the last-gen consoles because it might look good. And the fact is, they made it look good, but they deliberately toned down all versions. Um, the story was not all that engaging. There were only a couple of points where I thought it was it was really 
uh, really enthralling at any any angle. Destiny I've only barely scratched, so I will let Max take care of that one. I have played Call of Duty Advanced Warfare extensively on both the last-gen and the current-gen consoles, and I have been pleasantly surprised with what I've found in terms of the story and in terms of the gameplay. Now, that being said, they've done that by making it not a Call of Duty game. Instead, they've essentially assimilated a lot of Titanfall, a lot of mech games, a little bit of Halo in terms of the increased amount of mobility that you have, you know, jetpacks, like jumping, dodging, boosting around, reaching areas of maps and having mobility that was not previously possible. And that has lent itself to new dynamics, which make them interesting. But inherently, that is not the traditional Call of Duty. But that's okay, because if we've been harping on innovation for so long, then something like this needs to have happened. And in terms of the story, this is by far beats out the really shallow kind of um, throwaway plots that they gave to uh, Ghosts, to Black Ops 2, <clears throat> where implausible situations arise. Call of um, Duty Ghosts, uh, the <laughs> South, South America has invaded us. Yeah, South America takes over the world. You know, this one guy named, like, this one Raul Menendez terrorist guy takes over the entire world. And instead, uh, you've got to hand it to Kevin Spacey. I mean, he's excellent in House of Cards. He is excellent in this game. And looking at, I've actually been looking more into how he influenced the creative process behind the story of the game. He became Jonathan Irons, as I'm sure he becomes Frank Underwood for House of Cards. And the developers uh, at Sledgehammer, who made this, were commenting on that. The fact that he would you know, counteract their orders. He said, no, 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 no. What you've written here is not right. Jonathan Irons would not do that. Here's what I think he would have done. Here's how I think the story should proceed. And you see his creative influence uh, impact on the game and that's actually great that he wasn't just in it for the money he deeply invested himself in the creative process so I think the the entire game is better off for that and I'm actually using that as inspiration for a committee and a conference that I'm running unlike Peter Dinklage in Destiny yes Peter Dinklage or um, Dinklebot no, no, no. Uh, Beatles. Why can't I? Oh, uh, what was it? John Paul, I think. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. John Paul is a pope. <laughs> Shut up. I couldn't think of the name. John Paul Lennon. John Paul Lennon. George is in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, let's see. So, uh, continuing on, that was my long rant about Assassin's Creed. Uh, not Assassin's Creed. Call of Duty. Now I'm going to talk about Assassin's Creed. <laughs> Uh, I've been playing Rogue extensively. I'm halfway through that. By halfway, I mean like a third of the way through the story. I've just collected about 75% of the chests, a- animus, um, abstergo fragments, random things like that because I'm insanely OCD and feel that I need to do that before I can continue with the story. Um, but so far, it's a really good game. And the reason is that, yes, it is a continuation of the ship 
model that we first saw in Assassin's Creed 3 and saw continued in Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, but they've finally evolved it to the point where it is smooth and they've essentially optimized it. And I see Rogue as essentially the last hurrah of not only that kind of the ship trilogy, so to speak, but also of uh, Assassin's Creed on the last-gen console. And if this is how it's going to go, then there, you know, there really couldn't be a, a worse way for it. Now, conversely, there's no worse way to start on the <laughs> next-gen console uh, than Assassin's Creed Unity. I mentioned previously in the Dixical segments that I have not, I've fortunately not encountered many of the problems like no faces and or floating heads and or broken uh, physics as many, many of the other people have with this game. So I, my impression is actually a lot more favorable, uh, but they've completely changed the combat system. There's a new parry mechanic instead of the insanely cheap but so awesome counter kills that we're used to, right? You just press B, then you press X, B, like, accidentally uh, kills the guy in a ridiculous way. Now there's a whole parry mechanic. you got to whittle down their health slowly. Um, so there's just a lot of things that needed to be correct. And hopefully they do so, but I'm not particularly looking forward to the next Assassin's Creed set in Victorian London, who could have guessed? I'm really starting to believe that the original Assassin's Creed, which now is the only one outside to take place outside the Anglosphere, with the possible exception of Revelations in Turkey, uh, really just served as a cover to link them to the actual Assassins, just so they could have that legitimacy and then go on their, what it appears to be now a very Eurocentric uh, franchise. So... I continue to follow that one with ambivalence. And if you, unless you count that uh, that Asian tie-in that apparently exists, but is not really the Assassin's Creed that we were hoping it would be. Oh, the uh, uh, the two D side scroller in uh, was in China or Japan? Yeah, China. Assassin's Creed Chronicles China. It's a two D side scroller, as as Maxi mentioned. Uh, not not what I was expecting. But I'll hopefully, take it, I suppose, but this is, you know, there needs to be more of this. Hopefully, we can get an Assassin's Creed game in China or Japan for once. Yeah, we will see. I mean, there's there's no shortage of the fact that they've been able to create uh, backstory for characters in ancient Egypt, in ancient Rome, in China, in Japan, in Mongolia... They just haven't acted on any of it. They've continued with this increasingly modern uh, slant, right? We're going from 1790s with Unity. Now we're going to like the 1860s-ish, right? So, and I, uh, I think I think one of the issues of Assassin's Creed, they sort of painted themselves into a corner in a way, in that they have always one-upped the previous game in terms of the technology available to your assassin. So they've done that to increase gameplay to give you more weapons more ways to interact with the world to make it more fun but and this is with the exception of black flag because that did technically go back in time but because you had so much to do with the ship it sort of its own deal anyways but for all these games that having pushed the time period forwards you've added more technology and weapons 
I mean, now they're, they're running out of space and they've made it to where they haven't gone back, way back to any previous point. So they're sort of limiting the, uh, the remaining area they have left for future games. So if they want to keep this cash cow going, which I assume they do, they're going to have to make a very difficult decision at some point to go back in time somewhere where they're going to have to reduce the technology and really strip it back and go back to basics. Um, but in a way, I'm actually I'm looking forward to that if it ever comes. Yeah, and essentially I've been playing Rogue with a personal challenge in order to put the stealth back in. I try and set personal goals for myself on, say, story missions. Say, I won't be detected. Right? I want to play this game as if I won't get detected and still complete the main mission, or things like that. And the problem with, you, you mentioned, Alex, adding too many weapons and things and uh, lights and bells and whistles, is that there are now a myriad of ways to just kill people and get through it. I remember in Assassin's Creed 1, if you just, you really don't have any ranged weapons besides, I think, 25 max throwing knives. And some of those take two hits to kill an archer, right? If you're at that sort of level, yeah, you're going to figure out the smart way to get around the situation rather than, you know, berserk grenade your way through it, put them all to sleep with another grenade, and then blow them all up by shooting the weapon cache with a pistol. I mean, I, st- I still remember uh, in the first Assassin's Creed, after completing one of the, uh, the assassinations in one of the big cities, You'd always have to escape, and you'd have to run through the city, lose your wanted level or your 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 notoriety uh, before you could return to the assassin's hideout. And I remember that was always just a mad dash. You're just running. There's archers and soldiers everywhere, and you can't stop and fight because if you do, you're dead. You're going to be overwhelmed immediately. Now, I mean, in Unity especially, I've I've only uh, played it a little bit, but I've already done some of the online, and as part of a team. I'm just, I'm not afraid of anyone, really. Like, I'll, I will take on as many men as come at me if I want to, just because I can. Like, I, there's, there's not that same sense of, of fear and uh, of concern for the life of your character, which I thought was one of the driving forces in the original Assassin's Creed, is that you had to be stealthy because otherwise you were dead and you, you weren't going to be able to continue. Yeah, uh, so finally we have... Far Cry 4, the other Ubisoft game, which is also features um, you know, satellite dishes that you sync viewpoints to unlock parts of the map, upgrade trees, etc. So, I like it, but I feel like it's just a reskin version of Far Cry 4. It's the same thing, it's a guy who uh, is in a foreign place, I think it's Nepal, and, you know, bad things happen. There's a rebellion against the main villain. Uh, and so he has to join this small group of warriors to try and free the land. And he goes around the, um, the mountains, uh, gaining powers, up, leveling up his skills, and then ultimately takes on the villain head on. And that's... I could have either described Far Cry 3... Or I just described Far Cry 4. It's just that, and there are multiple endings in all the same ways as there were in Far Cry 3. Um, I feel like they just basically replaced all the names and then 
put in kind of a new uh, whitewash of a new empirical backdrop and then called it a day. So, does does the villain actually stay alive for the entire game, unlike in Far Cry 3? Massive spoilers there. I'm not going <laughs> to say anything about that. Okay, so Just real quick, um, Simon's basically gone through most of our list, but I'll jump in and fill in a couple of those uh, that he didn't mention. And going from a what Simon describes at least as unoriginal to a very original game that I was very impressed with, uh, we have Middle Earth Shadows of Mordor. Now, as far as original concept, uh, original game mechanics, and just you know, new engine, everything else, I, this game tops it all for me. This is I was very impressed both with the combat system, which admittedly uh, comes from the Batman games, the uh, you know the Arkham Asylum, City, Origins. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's the same. I think same publisher, same developer. So that that makes sense, but it's very well tuned in this game, better than any of the Batman games that I've played. But then when you add on top of that the Nemesis system, which for me is the biggest improvement in gaming for 2014. I mean, I think you have just a, a fantastic game there, which I was I was very impressed with, and I had a ton of fun with. The only downside to it is that as fun it is as it is, it is very short. I, I mean, I, I I know I got through that game and maybe a week or less, like there's possibly 20 hours of gameplay in uh, in the, in the whole game. Uh, so it's very short, but it's very, very fun. Now, another game that improves on its successor this time, or on its predecessor this time, by a much wider margin, is uh, Alien Isolation. So, and I think what's important there is whereas Aliens, Colonial Marines, which Simon had a lot of fun playing at a, a launch party <laughs> last year, if I, uh-huh, if, yes. if I recall. Go uh, on. It, it just, that game bombed, and so you'd think a lot of studios would be uh, hesitant to go anywhere near the franchise, uh, let alone produce a game uh, about it. But with Alien, which, for those of you who haven't seen the movies, Alien, the original one, is very much about walking around this ship with one alien, one bad guy, one terrible boogeyman somewhere, and you never know where. Whereas Aliens is just hordes of enemies that not quite the same. Alien Isolation does a fantastic job of capturing the spirit of that original movie of, uh, of Ripley going around the, the ship just terrified out of her mind. And I, I mean, I know this is a game where I've sat in a room with friends where just passing the controller around, it's just, it's just as much fun to watch and be terrified of as uh, playing yourself because you're walking around stealthily trying to avoid anyone else i mean besides the alien there's there's other enemies like guards and robots uh that are constantly pursuing you so you just you have to be hyper vigilant and it really tests your senses which i I think games not it's not something games do often enough they don't they don't force you to do anything other than than react sometimes or remember a sequence or a combination this really forces you to be on alert and just have everything going all the time and it, as far as adrenaline spikes go, this is the game for you if you're if you're an adrenaline junkie. Um, I mean, as far as uh, things Simon hasn't covered, uh, I mean, I know I'm I've looked forward to playing Dragon Age Inquisition. I know you have played a lot more of that, Max, and I know a lot of my friends have really enjoyed that. Uh, and then there's also this year Dark Souls Two, which I know you were a massive fan of. Yeah, speaking of Dark Souls Two, uh. 
my oh, here we go. My list is a little bit more eclectic say, since most of the games on here, most of the games I am the only one that have played them. Uh, so Dark Souls Two, I really, I really wanted to give this my game of the year so badly. Uh, but another game came out, which I will explain a little bit in a little bit. Ultimately, became my game of the year. Uh, Dark Souls Two. It was just it. It felt a little easier, which was a little upsetting. I felt like I was able to get through bosses on my first go without even dying once, or e- even without even taking any damage, which was really disappointing for me. Uh, but what really sold it for me initially was the fact that I kicked John's ass in PvP with my <laughs> sa- with my broken uh oh what was it my broken Santir spear uh which I was so happy that I was able to do that and I will be waiting for you in Bloodborne John I am waiting for you. Uh, oh, gaunt- but gauntlet has been thrown. <laughs> uh, Titanfall. Um, I think Simon pretty much summed it up, but I would like to add to it in that. Uh, if I think I mentioned this last time last year, but Titanfall felt more or less like a Call of Duty clone with you know mechs, uh, wall hopping, uh, jetpacks, and stuff like that. Um. It's it's fun, yes, but it could have been a lot more, and I think that's what made people so disappointed with Titanfall. I mean, I went back on at least the 360 version, and there was like maybe less than a thousand people playing at all, which was really a, a, which was really disappointing. That it's basically lost interest that quickly. Um, Watchdogs, uh, so Destiny, I think. Uh, yes, I know I skipped that because I think so- we all understand the whole story behind that. But Destiny, uh, oh my god, um, what a colossal disaster Destiny is. I'm sorry, but as as much as I enjoy Destiny, I cannot shake the fact that it, it's just a massive disappointment on every level i mean i was one of those people who who was still enjoying it even with all of his faults you know the, you know the story the fact that it's a massive grind you know legendaries initially would yield items that were not legendary at all uh i still play through it despite all of his problems but i think the nail in the coffin that i've lost interest in destiny now was the expansion which is just a complete joke i cleared through the vast majority of its content in three hours three hours what the fuck whereas games whereas expansions like shivering isles for oblivion i got through that in like 40 hours or hell, Dragon Age Awakening. I got through that in like 30 or 50 hours. I got through Destiny's expansion in three hours. And that wasn't including the Crota's End raid. 
and to make things worse, I had to change, I had to upgrade my Red Death Pulse Rifle again, uh, so that it would be on par with the gear that I would get, and you have to restart the upgrade path again. Why? <sighs> I know that most of these things are going to be improved in the sequel, but for first outing, oh my god. Um, anyway, away from that massive disappointment to what is my game of the year right now, my game of the year, Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, just everything about it is a marked improvement from Dragon Age 2, which was a, which was a massive letdown for me. Um, just the fact that, like, everything about it is improved. The world is so massive. It feels like Skyrim's in a game. Like, Skyrim in every single zone you're in. With quests everywhere. I've sunk in about a hundred hours before I even reached the end of the game. And I'm still playing it after that. I'm still playing it. The battle system, the combat system, it's immensely better. You're no longer just spamming buttons. Or you're, you're no longer spamming A or X to do your basic attack. Uh, you're, and it's more tactical and more interesting with a ton of options. And I already had a build in mind early on that I'm now using. And it is uh, absolutely amazing. And I love it. Uh, and the story, it is all also an improvement there. Um, just, I don't want to spoil it because there are a lot of things that tie back into Dragon Age 1 and 2. But just... Everything about it is such a massive improvement on every possible level. The only thing about Inquisition that I would uh, mark it down for is the multiplayer, which screams cash-in. And uh, what was the other thing? Um, and the the fact that you, if you're playing this on the PS4 and Xbox One version... You basically have to create your own world from scratch because you can't transfer your save data from Xbox 360 or PlayStation 3 to its next-gen counterpart. So I had to basically spend two hours getting my character's world to be what it was in Dragon Age 1 and 2, which was really time-consuming, but it was so worth it. To have my world basically set to what it was in the past, so that's my that's my game of the year so far. Yeah, it's it's interesting that Bioware didn't do uh, sort of the same thing they did with PlayStation Three for Mass Effect Three, where they had sort of the the comic book, comic book Spark Notes version of uh, of all the decisions. It's sort of upsetting if it if it takes that long. Well, I think the reason the reason for that is it basically looks into a significant amount of major decisions throughout the series, including SideQuest as well, but specifically some of the more uh, deeper, more meaningful decisions you made. Not necessarily the tiny ones, but the major decisions that you made. Okay. Um, well, okay, so we've got one vote for 
Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, as far as for myself, I'll go through a couple of my runners-up, I guess, before I, I reveal uh, what my choice is. But uh, starting off with Titanfall, for me, fantastic game. I really enjoyed it. It's a very well-done shooter. It's a lot of fun. Just not ambitious enough for me. It's too it's too small. Uh, there's, there's not enough to it. Um, with not enough upside, it's, it's, it's fun, but there's, it's just not, not the same sort of ambition for me. Um, same thing with, with Destiny. It, it's different in that it had a lot of content, but for something from Bungie, I expect just, just the best really at this point. And the fact that it, it wasn't at that level. I, I, it's disappointing for me. Um, Alien Isolation, really good game, but I, I'm not sure. There's just something about it. It's it's not it's not quite the best. It was a very good game, not not top for me. Um, I think Simon gave some very good points for why Unity maybe maybe shouldn't be game of the year. I'm really enjoying it, but I have to admit I did run into uh, a game breaking bug about five minutes in, where I missed, I don't know, a, a, a trigger box or something, and a cutscene didn't actually start, and I just got stuck. Granted, I will say I was still downloading the game and, and playing the early bit while this was happening, so I'll excuse that, but because of some of the uncertainties, uh, Unity's not it for me. So, I think I have to give my game of the year to Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor, just because of the ambition of the pro of the of of the game, the new Nemesis system, and I know I went after Titanfall for not being ambitious enough, not being large enough, and I know I said earlier that Shadows of Mordor isn't a long game, and that that was my main criticism of it. But that being said, I think it does enough in the time that it has that it is actually quite a well-rounded game in the way that Titanfall is. And I feel Titanfall left me feeling like there should have been more, whereas Shadows of Mortar left me wanting more. And I think that's an important distinction. The only thing about persuading someone to <laughs> want is failing to convince them on purpose. It's like a do-not-enter sign. just begs you to walk in the door. Now, with that in mind, my pick is not for Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. It came within a shout and certainly deserves to be commended for having much more and doing much more with Call of Duty than the past four or maybe even five iterations have done. Yeah, I have to say, just jumping in real quick, Simon, I'm very impressed with, uh, especially with what you described uh, as far as Kevin Spacey's involvement in in the creative process i'm very impressed that they went after someone as talented as him brought him into the studio not just to record some dialogue but to really make him a, a part of the experience and i think the game greatly benefited from that gaffney diplomacy is shaking with it right i'm holding rock with the left as you say never slap a man while he's chewing tobacco so with that in mind my game of the year is Assassin's Creed Rogue because, as I said, it closes out, at least I believe it will close out 
Ubisoft's involvement in this last generation of consoles and does so very well. The story is very interesting and it neatly combines all of the elements that uh, story elements that they brought in from Assassin's Creed 3 and Assassin's Creed Black Flag and brings in an interesting new middle person to to pull it all together from a very uh, curious point of view, in fact, because I don't think it's that much of a spoiler since the title is Rogue and the starting screen flips from an Assassin's logo to the Templar logo that you are playing as a fallen Assassin turned Templar, which is a very interesting uh, paradigm shift for them. And I think that they made a lot of changes and a lot of improvements that have really uh, made this a good swan song for the series on the past generation. Um, And Unity does not deserve it yet. Perhaps the next one, which I believe will compete with one of the games we're about to mention in the road ahead, uh, will do so. At least I certainly hope so. But for me, Game of the Year is Assassin's Creed Rogue. Hmm, so it seems we're uh, at a bit of an impasse here. We've uh, we've each selected uh, a different game. So I guess for the sake of uh, being able to place a place a ribbon on one of them, uh, I will say Middle Earth: Shadows of Mordor did a fantastic job. But so that we have a definitive winner, I will cast my vote for Assassin's Creed Rogue, just because I too. I've been very impressed with the paradigm shift of playing from the other side and just the fact that it, it's a well-done game and it's a nice fond farewell to the console which spawned this fantastic game. Insecurity bores me. Of all the things I hold in high regard, rules are not one of them. Yeah, so this, this, this podcast is actually just turning into a, a Frank Underwood uh, quotes memorial we're not we don't actually talk about games anymore so thank you for watching the kevin spacey podcast (laughs) okay on to our third category and one of our shortest which is good um the best remaster we have halo the master chief collection making a second appearance in a second category because it yes technically does belong here somewhat um the last of us remastered grand theft auto 5 remastered the Walking Dead Seasons 1 and 2 for the next-gen consoles, and FTL Advanced Edition. So, um, just to kick things off, Halo, the Master Chief Collection, was really here because it just belonged in the second category. Again, I believe the same complaints that excluded it from being the best exclusive title also apply here. The Last of Us Remastered was an excellent uh, upgrade over the original it was, again, just because the original game was so excellent, more than it was any groundbreaking new content that was added, uh, in my sense. Um, Grand Theft Auto V, it was uh, also exceptional, but I think that the main kicker of this one will be online heists which have yet uh, to arrive and finally we have FTL Advanced Edition which I actually really enjoyed because a lot of the things that were difficult or kind of uh, buggy or 
some of the gameplay mechanics that might have been unfair or broken in the last in the original release of FTL were fixed, and there are just a lot of different um, ways to s- slice the cake, so to speak. There, it just opened up a lot of different options for you, and a lot more variability in terms of what you encounter and how you could take down enemies with the new droid and uh, mind control systems. Yeah, I think as far as the best single feature introduced in uh, one of these remasters, while the uh, the ability to swap back and forth between old and new graphics in the Master Chief Collection is cool. It was awesome in uh, the original Halo's Anniversary Edition, uh, and it's just as cool here. But I think, for me, the coolest single feature is first-person in Grand Theft Auto V. However, I think, as far as overall changes go, overall upgrades, and just ed- making the game that much better, I almost said advancing it, which maybe gives it away a little bit, but I think FTL Advanced Edition has done the most in terms of remastering a game and making it better. Uh, I've yet to play FTL Advanced Edition, so I can't really comment on that. Uh, but if I did have to pick one, I would probably give it to The Last of Us Remastered, but I'm sure it's automatically going to lose, I know, but, uh, it's just, the, just The Last of Us was one of those marquee titles of probably the entire generation that really defined what the future would be you know this incredible uh immersive deep dramatic storytelling that really grips at at everything about you all of your humanity your life uh and everything that happens around you in the game it's just it was absolutely phenomenal and i loved every bit of it and i love the remastered version just as much as the PS3 version. Yeah, I mean, the, the Last of Us, don't get me wrong at all, The Last of Us is an amazing game. Absolutely fantastic game. But I just think the remastered version relies maybe overly, overly much on the fact that Last of Us was an incredible game. And I just I just wonder if it, if it was a remastered version of maybe not as good a game with the same set of, of things added, I it's, 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 just, it's not as much is given for me as in uh, FTL Advanced Edition. Yeah, so I absolutely love The Last of Us as well. I've played the whole thing through on uh, Survivor, New Game Plus, um, you know, but in terms of what is added, we have to think about it. If this is the best remastered category, what's brought the most value added in terms of what it was before and what it is now? And The Last of Us Remastered, it gave us 1080p, 60 frames per second, improved tech graphical textures, improved audio track. It, you know, it gave us the director commentary. It added the photo, the the mo- photo mode. The photo mode has actually been very interesting. People taking pictures uh, in key places that make it almost. It takes it. It transcends the game. It almost becomes like a poignant narrative through uh, through photography. Another suggestion or shout out for games as art in that respect yeah i mean even in, in, uh, a, in, a, in a way the last of us remastered is very accurate in its title it is a remastered version of the original i mean simon you just described it's got 
better graphics, better sound, better mixing, better all these little little touch ups. But again, and I, I feel like I'm sort of harping on this point. I, I think the uh, FTL Advanced Edition adds more content. It adds well. It definitely adds more content. It adds a lot of new features, a lot of new content to the game, a lot of new ways to play the game in a way that the Last of Us Remastered just doesn't. That's and that, no, that's what I was going to get to. That's why I agree. Um, you do not play Last of Us a different way. There is no you play it the same way as you did before. It just looks nicer, and for that reason, despite the fact that I really do like this game and consider it certainly a game, one of the games of the generation, I think that because it came out at the end of the generation, most people say that. I would certainly consider Assassin's Creed the original another serious contender for a game of the generation. Maybe if we subdivide it into beginning and end. Uh, but in this case, in terms of value added and really shaking up what it's what it means to play the game, uh, I would say FTL Advanced Edition. At least until GTA Five Online Heists, but that's something we could include in the 2015. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, again, as we talked about in the, in the short takes, it's next year. It's just around the corner, so... Maybe that's uh, that's for another Game of the Year podcast. Okay, so with that, we have FTL Advanced Edition for Best Remastered with uh, certainly a spectacular runner-up in The Last of Us Remastered. Finally, for our GameMinder Road Ahead segments, we have GTA V, I think. We just talked about this. That will be finally coming to the PC. So PC Gaming Master Race, rejoice in the gloriousness that is about to come upon uh, your screens. Grim Fandango Remastered evolved from the people that brought you Left 4 Dead. The Order 1886, which is that Assassin's Creed Victorian era competitor I was referring to. Final Fantasy Type 0 HD, and in, in that same vein, Final Fantasy 15. Bloodborne from the people that brought you Dark Souls. Mortal Kombat 10, Mighty Number no. 9, The Witcher 3. Crackdown, which is not Crackdown 3, instead they're rebooting it and just calling it Crackdown, like a bunch of other games we've seen recently. Fable Legends, the latest in the Fable series. The next one in Halo, uh, the Halo series, Halo 5 Guardians, for which the beta just went live the other day. Just Cause 3, bringing an ins- a new insane level of total ridiculousness. Overwatch, Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain. Persona 5, the delayed narrative game from Remedy, Quantum Break for the Xbox One, the universally clamored for and (laughs) long-awaited Star Wars Battlefront will descend just like Star Wars Episode 7 from the heavens and will be glorious. (laughs) Sincerely hope. Please, God, please. Claymore lightsaber. People at Disney want to keep their lives. Rainbow Six Siege, the continuation of Rainbow Six uh, Vegas franchise. Final Fantasy XIV Heaven's Ward. As, and two games that are very similar in idea and concept. Star Citizen and No Man's Sky. So for this, we're not going to discuss every single one of these. We're just going to pick one or two that we feel um, really represent what would be what we look forward to for next year. So, Max, why don't you start this one? Alright, so, everybody knows me as the Final Fantasy guy, so, most of my 
ex games I'm the most of the games on here are mostly Final Fantasy related. Uh, I do have others that I'm excited for, but I'm sure Simon and Alex will pretty much sum up what my, my thoughts are. Uh, Type Zero, uh, PSP game that from I think 2011 that never saw the light of day in the West, finally coming out to PS4 and Xbox One. Uh, really excited for that. But what I'm even more excited for after essentially 10 years of waiting, Final Fantasy 15 is coming. Specifically, it's demo, which I'm so goddamn excited to try out. I I I don't want this game. I need this game. It I need it in my life. Um uh, uh so Bloodborne uh again from software, you know, I can't really argue with that. Um just looks absolutely gorgeous, looks really interesting, almost has a similar vibe to Demon Souls, which I I think I love even more than Dark Souls. I just love how brutal Demon's Souls was, more so than anything. Um, obviously, Rainbow Six Siege. I, I, one of those people that that was a little disappointed with Rainbow Six Vegas Two. Um, was really interested in Patriot, but ultimately it got scrapped for this, which I'm still interested in. Uh, but generally, I'm still looking forward to it. Uh, and Final Fantasy XIV Heaven's Ward, the first expansion to, uh, my first and so far my favorite game so far on my list. I'm so excited because I've never been on an MMO where an expansion would come out and I would love to see what that looks like just the amount of people just waiting for when that expansion comes out and just waiting patiently for when some certain event would occur uh that would ultimately take you to that content i would just love to see that site it would be amazing and uh no man's sky um we know next to nothing about it besides that it's procedurally generated worlds that there's a trillion possibilities to be had, but I'm still really interested to know more about it. Yeah, so Simon, how, how about you? So I am interested in, of course, Halo 5 Guardians, just to see how they truly make a, a real next-generation game, not being tied over by this legacy giant uh, com combo pack of the Master Chief Collection, but how they legitimately make what should be, it by all rights, Microsoft's in-house studio should make the definitive new Xbox One game of the year, without a doubt. That is their bar, and I'm sorry if it's that's a really high bar, but Halo being what it is, 343 being what it is, talent being what it is, and the franchise being what it is, that is the baseline for what Halo 5 Guardians needs to deliver. It absolutely has to get to that point, especially after the somewhat mixed to sort of positive uh, views coming out of, of Halo 4 
Halo 5 or Halo Guardians, or they may even just drop the number, it's 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 going to come down to it has to knock the ball out of the park. It's got to be just a fantastic game. And we got to hope that Master Chief Collection has bought them some time to make it that good. And we'll hear more about it, I'm sure, as more feedback from the multiplayer beta trickles in. But the only other one that I really want to talk about right now is Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, Star Wars? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. (laughs) Yes, that's the first one I want to talk about. But considering when last game came out, I mean, it's been 10 years. It has, yeah. It will be 10 years. Because if you remember, Star Wars Battlefront 2 came out concurrently with Star Wars Episode 3. That was the thing. That was why it was a cool tie-in. You know, the campaign was simultaneous with the end of the Clone Wars, downfall of the Jedi, rise of the Empire type thing. 2005. A decade. An entire decade since we last experienced Battlefront. And here we are. Again, I mean, and, and Simon, just jumping in real quick there. With the exception of uh, the first Force Unleashed, it's been that long since we've had a good Star Wars game. This is also true. This is also true. Um, although I'm not sure when Empire at War came out. I think oh, Empire, no, Empire, Empire at War, War came was came definitely out before the that. Year after, so it's was it's it? been almost that long since we've had a good Star Wars game. Okay, well, we'll say they came out around the same time, and it's been basically it's been it's, it's been it's been since then, uh, and I mean, with the franchise being as massive as it is, you got to think we should be having tons of uh, of Star Wars games, and that's why. I know a lot of us at first were very nervous when, when Disney took over, but Disney being a business, they want to make money, and they know the best way to make money is to provide content that people like and will continue to buy. So I really think uh, that with their contracts with EA, um, doing, I think with studios, they've got DICE, Visceral, and, and Bioware all making... Star Wars games with the pedigree that those studios have, I'm really excited to see the first of these new EA Star Wars games. I, th- I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm just so excited for this game, and I'm especially so nervous, you, but I'm so hopeful that it's going to be really good. Especially when you consider that Bioware has made a Star Wars game in the past with uh, Knights of the Old Republic and the Old Republic. Exactly. So, They've got they have some uh, some serious some serious chops there. Yeah, and think about it, it ties into the larger resurgence of Star Wars. Star Wars has lain dormant for pretty much... Almost uh, ten years. Pretty much ten years since Episode 3. I continue to exclude the, uh, what, the, not hypocritical, what am I thinking? Heretical, that's the word. Clone Wars movie and TV series from... Simon, I, Simon and I have uh, generally been on the same boat here, but I have to say, Simon, I, I I've been converted uh, to to the Clone Wars. I mean, this is this is sort of a, an aside from uh, from gaming, so bear with us, dear listener. Um, but the movie aside, movie's terrible. But the rest of the of the show, if you sort of soldier through the first season, get halfway through the second and on, I mean, it 
the show the show just gets better and better and I like how I have to watch a season and a half before I It's a six season show, man. You sit through it. it, you sit through you know, you suffer through some of the bits of the and there's you know, there's some gems in there. There's a couple bits that are that are, you know, all right, they're fairly good. But once you get going, you just you know, it's it's fantastic. I recommend everybody listening to this podcast, it's on Netflix, all six seasons. And just, you know, push yourself through. Push yourself through the beginning. It gets worth it. It it, it it's better later on you're, you're no longer welcome on this comcast <laughs> if i have to venture forth alone then so be it um <laughs> but in terms of tying in with the larger resurgence of star wars right it will be released late next year coinciding with episode seven it's just so, per- it's just again, perfect timing it, it works out very well 2005 episode three here we have 2015 episode seven the new battle fight so that's what i'm really excited so Alex, uh, you uh, you traitor, please uh, <laughs> close out with your thoughts on the upcoming games. Yeah, so I mean, I've sort of jumped in on a couple other people's points. I'm very excited, as I said, about Rainbow Siege 6. Uh, I'm very excited to see how that sort of compares with uh, Battlefield Hardline, because they're both, in a way, sort of cops versus robbers Ask, I mean... Obviously, Siege is more to do, I guess, sort of with, with terrorism. Rainbow Six is always about terrorism. But this, at least with the videos they've shown, they all seem very home-based. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that holds up. It looks good so far. Battlefront, obviously. But uh, a game I'm really looking forward to is The Witcher 3. Uh, it just looks like a massive world, very detailed. I'm really looking forward to the whole tracking thing. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Star Citizen, uh, as was mentioned before, I'm super excited. Just, I I love flying games. I love space sims. So this just seems like like the perfect game, and I know it's crowdfunded to be that. So I'm really hoping that after breaking all of these crowdfunding goals, it can actually achieve its dream. Because uh, for me, playing is a game where I'm just I'm being Han Solo or I'm being some starfighter in uh, any of my favorite sci-fi series. That just sounds like a dream come true. So I'm really, really looking forward to that, and I hope it achieves everything it set out. It has set out to do. Now I know uh, the guys making it have said it's probably not coming for another eighteen to eighteen months to two years. But man, the time's gonna fly. I'm just I'm really looking forward to that. Now and then the other game that I'm really looking forward to, as Max said, a similar game but in its own way very different, is No Man's Sky, and. I suppose I won't say too much about it now because, uh, and here's here's a tease for the listeners, uh, we're going to be discussing it a lot more on the next Comcast. But yeah, Simon, look at us. We're being being very consistent here. We, you know, we're planning out multiple episodes. We've got whole arcs going back and forth between episodes. We're we're really improving here. But um, Let's not get crazy here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But what I will say about No Man's Sky is the ambition of it is astounding. I, I know I was reading uh, an article about it where – just to, to play around with things, they originally had uh, a generator for how many planets would be in this game. Because in this game, there's just a whole universe that you can explore. And they originally had it on a... It was, a, it was, it was 32-bit. And they switched it over to 64 just to, you know, to mess around and play with it. And they've increased it to something like 15 like quintillion planets... To the point where it would take you 5,000 real-life Earth years to fly from one side of this galaxy 
to the other. This game is massive, and I just, I can't wait to fly around and explore. And what Max says is true, we don't know a whole lot about necessarily the gameplay of it beyond the fact that you can walk around on a planet surface, get back in your ship, fly somewhere else. Uh, but just from what little we've seen, it looks immensely, immensely impressive. So that basically concludes our 2014 Game of the Year podcast. So just to recap, Sunset Overdrive by two votes. One gets the best exclusive with Goat Simulator of all games coming in behind um, for our best multi-platform. Um, that is Assassin's Creed Rogue with a switch vote from Shadow of Mordor uh, from behind, which is, I guess, will make the math work. For best remaster, FTL Advanced Edition, and just right behind The Last of Us Remastered, for sure. And that'll do it. For Max Gruber and Alex Miller, I'm Simon Wu. This has been 37th Game Distiller Comcast, and we're saying you'll never game.